We're going to continue our Soil of the Soul series this week. I want to start with a story. It's a story from Aesop's Fables, which is actually one of the oldest collections of stories. It's a kind of a Greek storytelling book. And it goes like this. A Greek philosopher invited a group of dignitaries to his home for dinner, a group of wealthy, educated you know, people in his day. And he invited them for two nights in a row. And he said, the first night, I'm going to serve you the best possible meal you could ever have. This is the ultimate dining experience. The second night, I'm going to serve you the worst possible meal you could ever have. The worst possible dining experience. So they were intrigued, as you probably are, to figure out what is the best and what is the worst possible meal. So the guests arrived for the first night. The servants set before them a meal of smothered tongue. Somebody said, mmm. We don't like tongue, but in other, some cultures, it's a delicacy, I'm sure. Um, it's always, something's always a delicacy somewhere, isn't it? But anyway, the philosopher, they, they, they enjoy this meal, and the philosopher said, this is the best possible meal. The tongue is what we use to bless people, communicate happiness, dispel sorrow, remove despair. We use it to inspire the faint-hearted, inspire the discourage, uplift people. The tongue is the best possible meal. And so obviously, this group of people, they enjoyed their meal, and then they were curious to know what would be served the next night, the night of the worst possible meal. So they show up at this philosopher's home, the servants put out the food, Exact same meal, smothered tongue. Now, this might be more of your language. You might think smothered tongue is the worst possible meal. But again, the servants bring out smothered tongue. And the guests are curious why the same entree was served two nights in a row. It wasn't leftovers. It was a fresh preparation. And this is what the philosopher said. With the tongue, we break hearts, we bring curses, we destroy reputations, we promote discord, induce strife, and set wars in motion. In other words, you can use the very same thing to do good or to do evil. There's power in the tongue, is there not? There's power in the tongue. Our words are so important, our words matter. We just celebrated the the 4th of July in our nation, Independence Day, and you think about the, the different ones that signed that dangerous declaration, that declaration of independence, and they basically signed their rights, their property, their life away, knowing that the British government was gonna run after them. You can think about different speeches that were given in the course of history of our nation that were influential. You'll probably be able to fill in the gaps here. Patrick Henry said, give me liberty or give me... Right, we all know that one. Abraham Lincoln and his Emancipation Proclamation, four scores and seven. Right, Martin Luther King Jr. I have a John F. Kennedy. It's not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for. Right, so words have power. And words have been used to transform people, transform society as long as there has been human history. There's power in the tongue. But unfortunately today, We have a great problem. We live in a society that has become very careless with its speech. We live in a society that every person seems to desire influence. Every person seems to desire platform. But very few people seem to desire the responsibility that comes with that influence and the responsibility with using a platform. We see this all the time in the news. I can't think of a time I opened my news app recently and there wasn't some person apologizing for a tweet they made three years ago. 
Let me give you a tip. If you have a Twitter account, just go delete the history right now, okay? Just get rid of it. It's probably something on there that you regret. And we all experience this personally. We've all been in that scenario where we're driving home from a party and we're thinking, oh, man, why did I say it that way? Or your spouse lets you know that you maybe said it the wrong way, right? All right? Most people feel the pain of having said something that ended or changed a relationship in a really painful way. And it's simply not true that sticks or stones can hurt us, but, but words don't, right? Words actually have the power to cut deeper, I've seen. You know, bones can heal, but hearts take a long time to heal. That requires the work the Holy Spirit. My wife, Shelly, here on the front row. We have three kids, one on the way, by the way. We're excited about that. And um, our three kids have all been through speech therapy. And so they had speech delays. And so it was something that we had to learn about and work on. It was something that I knew nothing about going into parenthood. And so I had to learn quite a lot. They've had to sit down with speech pathologists and speech therapists and basically learn how to speak, learn how to pronounce different words, why we say certain things in certain way. And, and one of our children, it was a very intense process of multiple times a week with different kinds of coaching. It was very behind. It was very challenging. We actually had a really big victory in our family recently because that child won a speech competition in his first grade class. And then he went to another, uh, another school and uh, gave that same speech. It was Psalm 121, by the way. It was beautiful. And even in the little uh, message before all the kids gave their speeches, the, I loved what the principal said, just talked about the power of speech and the power of the tongue. But we live in a cultural moment where speech is out of control. And here's what I think. I think everybody needs a little speech therapy, right? So that's what we're doing this morning. We're all in speech therapy. Look at your neighbor and say, you need some therapy, okay? We're all going to speech therapy this morning. We're going to work on our speech, and I'm going to speak to us from the subject, our souls and our speech. Our souls and our speech. Will you pray with me as we kind of hop into this message and look at God's Word? Lord, we do pray for our speech. Pray that our speech would be powerful. Pray you'd highlight different aspects of our speech. During this talk, of course, every person just has a different daily life here. And so I pray you'd really um, translate this for each of us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I love it when the Bible makes things simple. You know, there's a lot of complicated subjects in the Bible. But I love it when we can find a verse that just encapsulates an entire truth, an entire subject in one verse. Not every, not, it doesn't happen like this all the time, but there is a verse like this about speech. It's a simple verse. It's easy to memorize. And if you can get this, you can change your life with the power of speech. Proverbs 18, verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So I want to kind of conclude our Soil of the Soul series this morning with something very practical as we look at the power of our speech. And I like the way that this verse actually talks about it because we can translate this to the soil of our souls. Death and life are in the power of our tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. And so if our, if our soul is like soil, our speech has influence over the seeds that get planted in our souls. Right? Maybe you've seen those studies where they, they went out into um, farm fields, like in Nebraska, and they played Mozart, and uh, the, the plants were like you know eight or nine times healthier than the plants where there wasn't Mozart. You ever seen those studies? So fascinating. right? So there's something just about speech and the atmosphere in which we surround ourselves in which can inhibit or encourage our growth. 
And life and death are in the power of our tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So the fruit that comes from the soil of our soul is influenced by the power of speech. Just like there are natural laws, must, what goes up must come down, the law of gravity, right? Different laws of physics, right? Laws of economy, supply and demand, right? There's different natural laws. There's also spiritual laws which govern our world. So the Bible talks about reaping and sowing, right? That's a spiritual law. The Bible talks about the tithe is the Lord's, right? So that's a spiritual law that God has set up and how he governs his kingdom. Another spiritual law that has been set up is the power of creative speech. Speech has creative power. We see this all over the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, and God said, let there be light. God created the world using the power of creative speech. Right after creation, Adam, he's made in God's image. So what does God give him? That same power. He's empowered to name the animals, right? He uses his power of creative speech. Genesis chapter 3, sin enters the world, and then the power of creative speech is used to curse as the result of sin. Genesis chapter 12, God steps into Abraham's life, and it begins this process of redeeming all mankind, and he says, those who bless you, I will bless the power of creative speech. Then, of course, in the book of John, we learn that Jesus is the word of God made flesh, the power of creative speech. In the book of Hebrews, we see that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And so we see this principle all throughout the scriptures of the power of creative speech. Jesus spoke about it in Matthew chapter 12. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, we'll give account for every careless word they speak. But for your words, you'll be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Three principles about this supernatural law of speech. This is just to introduce the topic to you. You can study this passage more if you'd like to get more into this. First of all, speech reveals the state of our souls. Speech reveals the state of our souls. Everybody's got that friend, or maybe it's your spouse, that you can't get more than a few words in, then they're like, hey, What's really going on with you, <laughs> right? Even the tone of our speech can reveal the state of our souls. I found it to be a good practice at the end of the day to do what the Ignatians used to do in church history, to do a prayer of examine and just examine my speech throughout the course of the day. Just think about what did my speech represent today? Does it show any areas of my soul that need transformation? Where did I grow in my transformation using the power of my speech. Speech reveals the state of our souls. Speech has good or bad rewards. Speech has good or bad rewards. Think of my children when I ask them to do something. There's a big difference when they say, one more minute, one more Lego, or yes, sir, I'm coming right now, right? Good or bad rewards. Speech has consequences in our life. Winston Churchill put it this way. I always love a good Churchill quote. I'm a Churchill buff. Um, in the course of my life, I've often had to eat my words, and I must confess that I've always found it a wholesome diet. Churchill just always said it like it was. Speech reveals the state of our souls. Our speech will be reviewed in eternity. Jesus said it right there. He talks about how we'll give an account for every careless word. Our speech will be reviewed in eternity. Now, lest you think that, you know, now your life is over because of all the careless words you've said over the course of your life. I've said many. I'm so thankful for the grace of God. 
You know, the Bible says also, Jesus said, with our speech, we're justified. That word justified means to make righteous. And it says in Romans chapter 10, if we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, we'll be saved. It's by our speech that we're saved, by making a confession of faith and inviting Jesus Christ into our hearts. Got a little family picture here to show you of my two oldest boys, um, two boys, Ike and Jed right here, yes, and they got baptized on Saturday. And I was so encouraged when they said into the microphone, I'm getting baptized because I want to follow Jesus, right? The power of their speech. And you know what? Every word they've said since then hasn't been perfect. Shocker. But by their speech, they're justified. God's already forgiven them because of that confession of faith. So if we know we're saved by grace, where our power of speech is working in our lives, how should we speak now? Well, this is the situation we find ourselves in when we look at a passage of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 is all about salvation. It's all about our identity in Christ. It's all about what the Holy Spirit is able and willing and wanting to do in our lives as believers. And I love Ephesians chapter 4 because in Ephesians, Paul turns a corner and he starts getting practical. Anybody like it when the Bible gets practical, right? God, just tell me what to do, right? Tell me what not to do. I'd like a little help here. Well, we're going to get practical this morning and we're going to look at some principles on how to speak, because if life and death are in the power of the tongue, we want to speak life. Amen? Say speak life. We want to speak life. So we're going to see four principles here in Ephesians chapter 4, four just thoughts for us today on how to speak life. It's a little acronym, life. L stands for love. I stands for integrity. F stands for faith. And E stands for edify. We want to be people that speak life. Paul starts out Ephesians chapter 4 with just kind of a kind of a toss out phrase as a prisoner of the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but prison is not the primary place I think about of speaking life into my soul, right? And so to me, that actually gives this passage so much weight because this is a guy that's been there. This is a guy that's writing from a hard place. And he's still commanding us to speak in a certain way. If there was any opportunity to update his blog and get real, you know what I mean? It would have been to send a few tweets from prison, complain about the food, right? The warden wears the same clothes every single day. I hate the playlist in here, right? He could have complained, but instead, he's going to teach us how to speak life. Then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have Received. If there's anything that we need to do to be worthy of the calling we received in Jesus Christ, it's to have transformed speech, right? Okay, be completely humble and gentle. This is just a tough one to get through because it's so convicting. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. As you can see, this is a whole sermon series, so I'm just going to pull some thoughts out of here. One baptism, one God, one Father of all, who is over all and through all in all. So he starts talking about the body of Christ, the church. And what's interesting with the church, you know, we can sow unity or disunity because of our speech. Anybody thought about that before? We have incredible power to bless and strengthen and further the mission of our church by our speech. Or we have incredible opportunity to pull away from that by what we choose to focus on. Paul begins to move into verse 7 
through 13, it starts to talk about equipping gifts in the body of Christ and gifts of Christ and how God will use those people to mature the body of Christ. That's a very important subject, but we're going to kind of move down to verse 14 to stick to our main idea today, which is the soul of our speech. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to come in respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as part as each part does its work. The, the term love is mentioned three times in that passage, and that is the first key to speaking in life, speaking words of love. Many of the most common communication mistakes are made because of a lack of love. Many of the most common communication mistakes are made because of a lack of love. For example, when we do not prepare for an important conversation, we are not loving the person we are about to communicate with, right? We can love people by preparing. When we do not listen during a conversation, but instead are preparing our rebuttal. Now, I've never done that, but I know some of you guys struggle, and so I'm trying to, you know, be... So when, when we don't listen but just immediately think about our next thing to say or how we're going to one-up that story or our retort or response, we've stepped out of love, right? When we avoid a difficult conversation rather than stepping into the mess and trying to figure it out, that's not real love, isn't it? Right? That's not real love. Paul even goes on in another book of the Bible, 1 Corinthians, to say, hey, you might be able to prophesy. You might be able to have great faith that moves mountains. You might even have the gift of tongues the Bible talks about. But if you don't have love, you're bankrupt. You don't have anything. Even if we feel like we're powerful people, our power will not accomplish the purpose that God has given it if it's not in love. The Bible uses a lot of different words for love. The word here is the word agape. C.S. Lewis uh, writes about this in the book, The Four Loves. He says, agape is a generous, selfless, giving love. I like to think about that in, return, in terms of communication. What are we giving people with our speech? What are we putting into the souls of other people? Yeah. We, were with, we were with Jeff and Sarah recently. There were several times in the conversation where Jeff or Sarah just said, out of the blue, just an encouragement, right? And they were putting something into our souls. They were strengthening us, right? That's how we all want to be. Good job, Jeff. But you know, there's an inverse. Many people say things that are not loving. Here's a scripture that sometimes keeps me up at night, just to be honest. Proverbs 29, verse 11. A fool gives full vent to his spirit. Now, there's some people out here that like to vent, right? I used to like to vent. But then I read this scripture. That said, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. There are some things that are just better not to say. About 12 years ago, there was uh, kind of a, a new thing that came out, online reviews, right? And you could write an online review about a business. Now, I'm, I am going to get vulnerable, and I want you to know I wrote a bad online review about a business, okay? I had a bad experience there, guy. I needed the world to know, okay? I really did. I mean, was it like, was it like unchristian or something in terms of like, I didn't cuss them out or anything, but you know, it just wasn't positive. And a few days later, my good buddy Jonathan Lair 
was looking for something to do. He came across that business. And then he read my review. <laughs> and he gave me a call. And it said, hey, why are you spending your time writing online reviews? Busted, right? I have not done that since. I repented, okay? I'll be sharing that testimony on Easter Sunday. It's a turnaround story, right? But a fool gives full vent to his spirit. We don't need to spend our time, okay? Have you ever seen the online reviews people write of churches? It's ridiculous, right? Don't do Actually, it'll just depress you, okay? Right? So, listen, love makes allowances for people's weaknesses, right? There's got to be people in your life that never want to speak in a loving way. They're always going to be critical. They're going to be critical of you. Be an eagle and rise above it, okay? We can be a people that speak life and love. Okay, let's continue. Ephesians 4, verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. So the Gentiles would be the unbelievers at the time. In the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. Listen, our speech is going to be different than the speech of the world, right? If we're following Jesus... Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your form of way of life to put off your old self, old self, old speech. You follow me? Which has been corrupted by deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, Hey, when the Bible says, therefore, showing us a cause and effect. So Paul is saying, hey, you've gotten a new self. You're not your old self anymore. Therefore, the effect of that, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. We are all members of one body. I, integrity. One of the ways we speak life is by having integrity with our words. The New Living Translation makes it a little easier for us. It just says it this way, stop telling lies. <laughs> we want to be people of integrity. Zig Ziglar, who was kind of the founder of motivational speaking, an outspoken Christian, I love Zig. Zig said this, with integrity, you have nothing to fear since you have nothing to hide. That's a good word right there. The Bible puts a paramount emphasis on truth and never speaks well of lies, Right? The Bible is all about the truth. Many of us can think of a relationship, a connection that was ruined because someone was not 100% truthful. Let me just ask some questions here. Our integrity is demonstrated by the stories we tell. Do we exaggerate or tell it like it is? Our integrity is demonstrated by the confidences we keep. Do we let information about others leak out? Do we leave little breadcrumbs along the conversation hoping people will ask for more? Or are we evolve, right? Okay. One of my mentors says it this way, relationships move at the speed of trust. Relationships move at the speed of trust. One of my favorite things to do over the summer in terms of sports, watching sports, I like to watch the uh, Formula One racing in Monte Carlo. And then I also like to watch the Tour de France. It's just nice scenery, you know what I mean? You can just have it on and... Um, you can hear them talk to each other. And so in the recent race in Monaco and Monte Carlo, they're talking to each other, and one of the racers, the guy who was in second place, got in an argument with Pitt. And the Pitt was trying to tell him some things that needed attention on his car, and he refused to trust the Pitt, right? That's going to be a problem when you're in a race. 
Now, if anyone has ever seen one of these races, when you pull into the pit, they can like change the tires and the bumper and, you know, give you a wax and shine at about five and a half seconds, right? So when there's trust, we're able to accomplish a lot in our relationships. When there's not, there's all kinds of issues. Very, very true in the church. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 9. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his way crooked will be found out. Man, I found this in renovating a home. You know, you invite people into your home to give you bids and quotes and work on different things. And man, the people that operate integrity, those are the people you tell your friends about, right? Those are the people you refer to others. The people that don't, man, somehow it always comes out. (laughs) And that can be very, very challenging. I found in every industry, maybe you work in medicine or maybe you work in education, in every industry, there is an accepted level of dishonesty. I've found that in almost every industry. I've had a lot of different jobs. There's typically an accepted level of dishonesty. I remember I worked in the shipping industry. You know what my first manager told me? We always round up on the weight. Oh, man, the Bible says a dishonest scale is an abomination to the Lord. I don't need to get on that train, <laughs> right? I remember I was uh, work selling computers, and uh, they decided they wanted to finance computers to people in the inner city for 29.99% interest. But I'm not doing that, right? The Bible has a lot to say about exacting interest from the poor, right? I found in every industry there's an acceptable level of dishonesty. But I found when believers step in with integrity and bring God's excellence, man, that's such a path to success. If no one else is doing it, man, God's hand will be all over that if you can step in with integrity and excellence. 2016, the Oxford English Dictionary Word of the Year, post-truth. Something to think about, about the world we live in. Verse 27, do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. You know what? That's really good. If you're stealing, please stop stealing. Um, But must work. Do something useful with your own hands. Okay, let's go down to verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. May it benefit those who listen. Here we see the next two principles in speaking life, the principle of faith and the principle of speaking words that edify or build up. Speak life, love, integrity, faith, edify. Here we see the next two principles of speaking out life. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. I looked up that word unwholesome in a Bible dictionary. You know, the actual translation was something more like this. Unwholesome kind of sounds like, well, little Johnny kind of did some unwholesome things at school today. But I didn't mean to look at Johnny when I said that. Sorry, Johnny. Um, Little Bobby, little Bobby did some unwholesome things at school today, and, you know, he kind of needs some consequences when we get home. That's really not what the word means, okay? The word unwholesome, when you look at it, means rotten, putrid, and full of death. Man, don't let anything that's rotten, putrid, or full of death, don't let any unbelief come out of your mouth. But instead, speak words of faith and words that edify. Life and death are in the power of your tongue, and our words should be full of faith, and they should Edify. Speaking faith is the opposite of unwholesome, rotten, and fruitless talk. The fruit of our speech will be a transformed life if we speak life with our words. Well, pastor, you don't know my spouse. You don't have my kids. My boss is a knucklehead. You don't drive in my car. Listen, there's just situations in life that are tests. You just have to rise up and bless and speak life. Only a few good things are going to happen. 
first of all, you're just going to end up in a better mood, right? So that's a good thing. And if life and death are in the power of your tongue, no, it's probably not going to happen overnight. But as you see the atmosphere of your life with faith and life and building up, there's going to be a change. There's going to be a turnaround because God's going to promote you to your level of faith. Okay? So life and death are in the power of the tongue. Joel chapter 3, verse 10, a great thought on speaking words of faith and words that build up. Let the weak say, I am. Let the weak say, I am strong. Hey, listen. When you're in the gym tomorrow morning, would you please say that you are strong? Okay. Let the weak say that I am strong. Listen, speaking words of faith, words that build up, it's not ignoring a problem. If you're weak, you know you're weak. Right? You're not sitting around saying, I'm not weak. I'm not weak. I'm going to bench press. I'm not, you know. But it is saying, God's given me strength. He's strengthening me today. Might be a little bit, but if I stay at it tomorrow, I'm going to be strengthened again, right? So we're speaking life and faith with our words. You know, the, probably the time in my life where I had to speak life, faith, edify the most, more than I ever have, was in the season that we moved to be part of this church and started planting All People's Church with the team that moved out here from Texas to San Diego 11 years ago. Here are some things that we encountered. We had a lot of cards stacked against us. So the first thing people like to say when you tell them you're going to plant a church is they like to say, well, you know, 80% of church plants fail. I'm like, thank you for that encouragement. Now, why are you moving to San Diego? Don't they already have churches? You know what's funny? In the same conversation, the other people would say, why are you moving to San Diego? They don't like churches. People can't make up their minds about how they want to criticize you, can they? Right? They say, you know, San Diego, so expensive. Seven and a half times more expensive. People had it memorized. Seven and a half times more expensive than Waco, Texas. All right, thanks for the information. It's also by the beach, right? <laughs> you know, so expensive, but I'm not going to be able to financially support you. All my spare pennies are tied up, okay? I mean, ridiculous, right? Okay, then, then we moved out here. California, falling into the ocean. End times prophecy, everybody knows it. You know, bunch of hippies out there. In the middle of all that, I contract a life-threatening disease. We're in our training to leave for San Diego. We have four days left in Texas. And a little kind of spider bite on my arm swells up. My arm, like, doubles in size. My finger, I mean, it looked like a cartoon character. I couldn't even touch my arm without screaming. I go to the hospital. I have a multi-drug-resistant staph infection. We're in debt. We don't have a place to live, right? We need to be trained. We need to get sent out. And here I am, the doctor is taking a Sharpie, drawing it around my arm and says, hey, if, you, if the infection goes past here, I want you to know you're losing your arm immediately. We can't let this go to the rest of your body. Got to speak life. Man, I don't know what came over me, but, you know, it wasn't some fake name it, claim it, blab it, grab it thing. This was the real deal. This was game on. And... We had nowhere to go, so we ended up in a hotel room, and Shelly's at the training that day, and I just didn't even have a computer, so I used the hotel computer, I printed off. I asked if I could have two free, um, two free sheets of paper printed from the front desk. Will you please print me off healing scriptures? And I sat in a hotel room for eight hours. I am the Lord. 
your healer, right? Just over and over and over again, declaring healing scriptures. Listen, I don't know if it was a supernatural miracle or if it was doctors. It took a few days, but we, we overcame that staph infection, and we were able to move to San Diego. And I do know this. I was definitely encouraging anything medical that was going on by speaking life with the power of my words. And God's power can be activated through a supernatural miracle, or your, your voice can activate medicine. It doesn't really matter as long as we get healthy, does it? Right? And so... That was a battle that we found ourselves in. So I started to think, wow, there's good stuff in this life and death and the power of the words. Then we move out to San Diego, man, it's tough. You know, I started having nightmares every night, screaming, just, you know, I was kind of off my rocker. Our marriage needs help. We're trying to figure that out. And in the middle of all that, man, what a low point. It was a painful time. You know, we'd stepped out in faith and it felt like we fell right on the curb. And in the middle of all that, Somebody gave me a book, and this book had a concept in it. It was by a Christian teacher about a negativity fast. It says, you know, a negativity fast isn't denying a problem. A negativity fast is speaking faith into the situation that you have now and refusing to speak death into a situation where you're already dying. Can I get an amen? And so, you know, we purpose to go on a negativity fast. Man, that negativity fast was so good for me. I'd be at a restaurant, wouldn't like the food. I'd say, well, praise God, I had money to buy this food, right? My neighbors are yelling and beating each other up, a few apartment doors down. Praise God, I have money for this apartment. All right, God, there's some people I can reach for Jesus right there. They obviously need help, right? So you start speaking out. You start refusing to partner with death. Start refusing to use your tongue to curse yourself and your own life, and you start demanding breakthrough by speaking life. Right? In the middle of that, you know, one of the ways we, we speak out in faith, we edify others, is by the scriptures. I shared that, you know, speaking out the healing scriptures. In other ways, by God giving us a promise. That was November 2009. Well, God spoke to me a promise. He said, two years from now, you'll be debt-free, your marriage will be thriving, you'll still be in ministry, and you'll have a son, and his name is to be Isaac. November 2011, we were debt-free, our marriage was thriving, we were still in ministry, and we had a son named Isaac two years later to the month. And so what did I do those two years? I didn't just write that down in my journal. No, I spoke life. I spoke faith. Okay, God, you said in two, well, today was a rough day, but guess what? This is what you said. So I'm speaking out the promises of God concerning my life. We grow in faith. We grow in speaking life by speaking the scriptures, by speaking out the promises of God. And the last way we grow in speaking life by using faith and edification in our words is by Walking out in faith when God gives us a gift of faith. You know, I love what David said to Goliath. You know, there they are in the valley. Goliath is out there cursing God, you know. David says, today I will defeat you. I will cut off your head and the birds will feed on your carcass. I mean, David didn't say, hey, we're going to battle and, you know, we'll work this out in a few days and I know I'm going to win because God, no. I mean, it was a declaration of faith, wasn't it? And there's some times in life where God gives you a gift of faith for yourself. But here's how I want to close today. Come on, Stephen. Here's how I want to close. What if we became a church that people came in and we had more faith for them than for themselves? 
What if we became a church that spoke life? What if we became a church, you know, the Bible talks about a gift of faith. What if we became a church that had such a gift of faith on it that when people came in, they had more faith for themselves than when they walked in? What if they found themselves doing things? They found themselves saying things. They found breakthroughs happening in their life that they didn't even pray for because a gift of faith was put in us. A breakthrough came to them. I want to be a church that walks in a gift of faith. I want to be a church that speaks life. Will you stand with me? Come on. Let's just start speaking life right now. God, we speak life over this city. Lord, we speak life over the homelessness situation in San Diego right now, Lord. It's not right, but we speak life over every person that works in that, that those nonprofits, Lord, that's working. We speak life over our government right now. We speak life over the state of California, Lord. We speak life over our nation. We say a post-truth nation, what a great time for revival because the church is the pillar and the foundation of truth. We speak life over our words, Lord. We repent where we've used our words to tear each other down. We repent where we've used our words to tear down our spouses, to curse our children, to speak poorly against our neighbors and our leaders and our coworkers. We repent, Lord. We confess that we want to be a people that use the power of the tongue to our advantage, to love, to speak with integrity, to walk in a gift of faith and to build other people up and edify them in Jesus' name. Let's just worship and seal up this moment. This is the fresh commitment to speak life with our words.